0: Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, here's the nub of this program. Famous people breed. They may be the ones in the spotlight, but there's always some kind of family in the background. And sometimes Junior or Little Missy don't toe the company line, if you know what I mean. Take the case of Kim Jong-nam. Kim Jong-nam. A- anyone. No, he's the son of the weirdo leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-il. North Korea is a mysterious, strange, extremely poor, extremely isolated, and very, very paranoid place. It's about as socialist a state as you can get. Hell, the country still considers Kim Il-sung to be their leader, even though he's been dead since 1994. Kim Jong-nam would be something of an embarrassment to his grandfather. And he's certainly been a pain in the ass for his dad. In the spring of 2001, he was arrested for trying to sneak into Japan using a fake name on a fake passport from the Dominican Republic. He said he was just going to Disneyland. Actually, he was going back to the hookers in the Yashiwara district, but that's another story. Anyway, big international incident, big embarrassment to dad back home, big damage to the family honor. Sometimes, though, it works the other way around. Look at Omar Osama bin Laden. We know his dad. He doesn't want to live in a cave in Tora Bora, plotting the downfall of the West. He's trying to find a Western country where he can settle down with his English wife and just get on with things. But so far, no good. These stories got me thinking. What about the children of rock stars? Are there some stories lurking in that corner? You know, good kids, bad seeds, chips off the old block, embarrassments to mom and dad... Well, guess what? There are. This is Rockstar Kids. The rest of the story. This is the ongoing history of new music podcast with Alan Cross. <laughs> Ah, the stuff I find in the Ongoing History Archives, that's Whirly the Clown, it's an actual clown, and the song is, My Daddy is a Rock and Roll Star. Hello again, I'm Ellie Cross, and I'm warning you, this program is not going to get any less weird. We're looking at rock and roll offspring and how they have, or have not, lived up to the musical DNA that's in every cell in their body. So, to set the tone for the show, let us begin with the daughter of one of the fiercest, most committed punk rockers the world has ever known. Joe Strummer was the face of the clash. Now, he came from privilege. His dad was a diplomat, and little Joe was born in Turkey and lived in exotic places like Cairo and Mexico City before the family moved to England. Little Joe went to private schools and a boarding school, and when he grew up, he was going to be a a cartoonist. No, 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 seriously, he wanted to be a, a, a cartoonist. The things that put Joe on the road to being a punk were A... His discovery of rock music at about age 10, and B, his brother David's suicide. From there, Joe was all about turning his back on his upper middle class upbringing, and he started slowing it as a true punk rocker. Even at the time of his death, Joe was low-key and living very modestly with his second wife, Lucinda. He had also become godfather to British singer Lily Allen. But what of Joe's offspring? Well, let's see if we can't work through this. In 1970, Joe married a woman named Pamela Moolman, she was from South Africa and she needed her British citizenship. So Joe married her for pounds. He took the money and bought the first real guitar he ever owned. And then the divorce went through. Joe then spent many years with a woman named Gay Salter. They never married, but they did have two daughters, Jazz Domino Holly and Lola Maybelline. Jazz Domino Holly and Lola Maybelline. Did you catch all the rock and roll references in those names? Lola is one of the trustees of Strummervale, a charitable foundation set up in Joe's name to encourage the creation of new music. It helps kids channel their energies into music and being in bands. Jazz is a trustee, too. But there's something else. She's the founder of Shoreditch Sisters. This is a woman's group. They meet to discuss the issues of the day, and then they get down to the real business of the meeting. Knitting, sewing, embroidery and other domestic activities. Here's a quote. Because I had such a rock and roll childhood, the only way for me to rebel was to go the other way. As a child, I was always fascinated by knitting. I had to go to my great-grandmother to learn how to knit because my grandmother was a hippie and my mom was a punk. We need to look at older crafts and reclaim some of those traditionally female pastimes, which I suppose includes... Shopping for groceries? A all in. I see all the, the Clash, featuring Joe Strummer, of course, the father of the most domestic jazz domino Holly Miller. Our next offspring goes by the name of Duncan, although when he was born on May 30th, 1971, his name was Zowie. He was the son of David and Angela Bowie, so he was Zowie Bowie. Young Zowie grew up mostly with mum. She got custody when she and David divorced in 1980. He lived in places like Berlin, London, Switzerland, and Scotland. That's where he went to a very expensive private boarding school. By the time he was 12, he got tired of the jokes and changed his name to Joe Jones. I don't know where the Joe came from, but Jones is his father's actual surname. That stuck for about six years before he decided to go with the name Duncan, which is his actual first name. Duncan Zowie Haywood Jones, and he's been going by Duncan ever since. School life was a little rough. He was expelled just before graduation from high school, but he later redeemed himself with a degree in philosophy. His star research paper was called How to Kill Your Computer Friend, an investigation of the mind-body problem and how it relates to the hypothetical creation of a thinking machine. From there he moved to Vanderbilt University in Tennessee to try to get his PhD in philosophy, but he bailed to go to film school in London. And now he's working as a director. He wrote and directed a sci-fi short called Whistle in 2002, and his big break was a TV commercial campaign for the French Connection UK stores. Last I heard, he was working on a sci-fi movie called Moon, which stars Sam Rockwell and Kevin Spacey. It's about an astronaut stranded on the moon in a mining colony for three years. And then some weird things happen as he's prepared to fall to Earth. Doesn't that sound like something the son of David Bowie would write and direct? But let's go back to 1971, when Duncan was born. Daddy wrote this song for his new son. It's called... Kooks. Will you stay in our lover's story? If you stay, you won't be sorry. Cause we believe in you. Soon you'll grow. So take a chance. David Bowie and Cooks from 1971, a song written upon the birth of his son, Duncan Zowie Haywood, who is now a film director on the rise. Since we're working in the 1970s, it's probably best that we deal with Otis Ferry. Now let me explain And beware, this is weird. Brian Ferry was the legendary leader of Roxy Music, one of the most stylish of all the British bands of the middle and late 70s. If you were into Bowie back then, you probably were into Roxy Music as well. They sold tons of records and provided inspiration to millions. Brian's son, Charles Frederick Otis, is something of an activist, but not in the areas that we traditionally associate with activism. See, Otis loves fox hunting. You know the aristocratic sport of tracking down a poor little fox with a team of horses and a pack of hounds? Well Britain has been trying to ban fox hunting as cruel and inhumane for years, but Otis Ferry will have none of that. He's been very active in the pro fox hunting movement, saying that this is part of the traditional ways of the United Kingdom. In 2002, he was arrested for approaching the Prime Minister's house in the middle of the night so he could hang pro-hunting posters all over the place. In the fall of 2004, he and seven other fox hunters barged into the House of Commons to protest anti-hunting legislation. It was the worst breach of security in years. Everyone was arrested, fined, and given conditional discharges. The following spring, Otis lunged over a barrier at PM Tony Blair before he was tackled and arrested. A few months later, he was arrested for drunk driving. He was fined and released. In November 2007, he was arrested at another pro-hunt protest. He attacked two people who were gathering evidence about illegal hunting with hounds. A week later, he was arrested again after a confrontation with paparazzi. In April of 2008, he was arrested for robbery and assault after again allegedly going after people who were looking for evidence of illegal hound hunting. It was then alleged that he tried to tamper with the case by contacting a key witness about him not taking the stand to testify against him. You just can't do that. As I write this, he's in Gloucester Prison, awaiting trial in March of 2009. Dad must be so proud. Jump up, bubble up, what's in store? Love is the drug and I need to score. Showing up, showing up, hit them run. Is the drug Roxy Music featuring Brian Ferry, the father of pro-fox hunting protester Otis Ferry. Oh, and just to let you know that it kind of goes both ways. When dad was 61, he dated a 27-year-old model. What was interesting was that model once dated Otis. A little weird, don't you think? In a moment, we'll look at daughters of Alt-Rock's most famous suicide victims, the whereabouts of Natalie Curtis and Frances Bean Cobain. Welcome again, I'm Alan Cross, and we're looking at the fate of those lucky enough, or unlucky enough, to be born into a rock star family. So far, we've traced the sons and daughters of Joe Strummer, David Bowie, and Brian Ferry. When Joy Division singer Ian Curtis committed suicide by hanging himself in his kitchen, he was married with a wife and daughter. His wife's name was Deborah, They got married when he was 19 and she was 18. And then four years later, on April the 16th of 1979, they had Natalie. Now, Ian has gone on to become a mythical doomed figure in Alt-Rock. Deborah wrote a very good Joy Division biography called Touching From a Distance, which was turned into an excellent movie called Control. She's also more or less the protector of Ian's part of the Joy Division legacy. But what about young Natalie? She would have been 13 months old when dad died. What became of her? Well, she first learned that dad was a singer when she was about three. Mom told her. As she grew up, she was mostly an outside observer to the whole Joy Division thing. As she grew up, she was mostly an outside observer to the whole Joy Division thing. But she slowly became aware that it was her dad that everyone kept talking about. Her childhood was pretty normal. She went to Henbury High School in Macclesfield, which is where Ian and Deborah lived, But she became fascinated with all the stylish photos of her father and his band that were all over the house. She started taking her own pictures at age four with her grandmother's camera. Over the years, she became fascinated with the work of Kevin Cummings. Now, Kevin was the guy who shot a lot of photos for the British music press, including tons and tons of Joy Division photos. Mom displayed a lot of these pictures at home when she got out of high school Natalie enrolled in Macclesfield College where she studied photography and in a bit of stunning symmetry she ran into Kevin Cummings and the last I heard she's working as his assistant as a bonus let me give you this if you know where to look in the movie Control Natalie plays an extra she tells someone to F off in one scene where an ambulance driver has to sub in for Ian during a show where Ian was too ill to go on kind of nice irony there Here's Natalie's dad, which She's Lost Control. Joy Division, featuring Ian Curtis, his one and only child, Natalie, is an assistant to the same photographer Who shot all the best-known Joy Division photos? All right, let's stick with the theme of fathers who left their families all too soon. The most famous offspring of the grunge era has to be Frances Bean Cobain, the daughter of Kurt and Courtney, born at 7:48 in the morning of August 18, 1992. Mom had only just forsworn heroin, and Dad was out cold on the delivery room floor, going through withdrawal. This is how Frances Bean came into the world, and it got weirder immediately. As a result of some awful press about Courtney's drug use, Child Welfare Services took Francis away when she was just two weeks old. It was all sorted out eventually, but Francis's childhood was anything but normal. She was about 18 months old when Dad died. The last time she saw him was in the rehab facility in L.A., about a week before he died. She and Mummy went to visit. It was a nice visit, apparently, with Daddy singing to her. In the years that followed, Francis went to a series of regular schools and private schools and Montessori schools. On several occasions, when Mom went loopy, Frances was under the custody of Kurt's mom, Wendy. The first ever interview she ever gave was in Teen Vogue in the fall of 2003. She was about 11. Interview number two was in ID magazine in January of 2006, where she defended Mom against all the bad tabloid press. In August of 2006, she was in a photo spread in Elle magazine. One photo showed her wearing one of Dad's famous cardigan sweaters. Actually, it was the same sweater he wore when he and Courtney got married in Hawaii. In that same interview, she explained that she often wore some of her dad's old clothes and that she had 137 pairs of shoes and 200 pairs of jeans. She's also partial to expensive handbags. As for any musical connections, I can tell you this. She chose the title and the cover photograph for the Nirvana box set called Sliver, The Best of the Box. And when she comes of age... She will inherit a sweater, a guitar, and the handwritten lyrics to this song. Nirvana, featuring the father of Francis Bean Cobain couple of other things about her. When she turned 16 in the summer of 2008, Mummy threw her a birthday party at the House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. The bill for the party was just shy of $325,000. That same summer, she worked as an intern at Rolling Stone magazine. Apparently, if the gossip is true, she wasn't all that popular. She never got anyone coffee, she dressed sloppily, and called in sick all the time. Kind of sounds like Mom, doesn't it? All right, here's the icky tabloid part of the program dealing with rock star kids. It's the love children of the rich and famous, and we're going to start with Mr. Gwen Stefani, Gavin Rossdale. Now, of course, Gavin was quite the big deal as a bachelor in the 1990s as the leader voice and face of Bush. But before then, he was in a relationship with a woman named Pearl Lowe. Now, Pearl is a singer-songwriter turned fashion designer, and at some point in the spring of 1988, she had a one-nighter with Gavin. Well, fine. Uh, Pearl was married at that time, but not the Gavin. Little Daisy Lowe was born on January 27th, 1989. Her birth certificate listed Pearl's husband as the father. 15 years later, little Daisy started asking some interesting and awkward questions about dad. Like, is daddy my real dad? That kind of thing. Blood tests were done. And guess what, Gavin was the daddy. The interesting thing about Daisy is what she's managed to do in her young life. Mom had her modeling baby stuff at age two. She began doing full shoots when she was 12. By 15, she was signed with a big agency and has since appeared in Italian Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. She's modeled for Chanel, Vivian Westwood, Burberry, Doc Martens, Converse, French Connection UK, and agent provocateur, the lingerie line. And if you must, she appeared nude on the cover of ID Magazine in the summer of 2007. Oh, and there's more. She's hosted a TV series for the BBC, wrote for the online edition of Elle magazine, contributed to a bunch of other publications, and hosted events for Dolce & Gabbana and Tommy Hilfiger. She had a thing with English guitarist Mark Ronson and even did some recording with him. Dad is apparently quite proud of his uh, long-lost daughter. I'm not sure Gwen is all that happy, but... uh, What are you going to do? Daisy Lowe, model, and love child of Gavin Rossdale of Bush. Bush and Gavin Rossdale. He found out he had a daughter 15 years after a one-night stand. One more, and it's also about a love child. And does it come as a surprise that it involves Liam Gallagher? Of course it doesn't. It's weird and complicated, as you might expect. On April the 7th, 1997, Liam married British actress Patsy Kensett. Two months later, there was an encounter with a woman named Lisa Moorish. She was a minor pop star at the time. Liam and Lisa had dated on and off for about two years, and ah, one more fling, I guess we're in los angeles who'll know in march of 1998 however she gave birth to a little girl named molly and it was later determined that molly's daddy was liam okay quick footnote january 2003 lisa had a son astille louis docherty and before you ask yes the father is pete docherty the famous drug addled singer of the libertines interesting that his other big band was called baby shambles Oh, by the way, uh, Doherty is how you do pronounce Pete Doherty's last name. That's the way the British do it. Anyway, back to Liam. I want to clear this up. He and Patsy had a son of their own named Lennon Francis about a year after all this happened. In late 1999, Liam wrote a song called Little James. It was about the son that Patsy had when she was married to Simple Mind singer Jim Kerr. And in a rare case of generosity, Noel allowed the song to appear on the 2000 album Standing on the Shoulder of Giants. Here it is... But it is cringeworthy. I'm singing the song for you and your and that song. It won't be long before everyone has got. Oasis with little James, a song written by Liam for his stepson, James. Okay, let's just count the kids here. There's stepson, Little James. There's Molly with Lisa Moorish. Lennon Francis with Patsy Kensett. And a son named Gene with his second wife, Nicole Appleton. He was born in 2001. I can just imagine Christmas. That's got to be a lot of fun. Here are a few more rock star kids. Coco Haley Gordon Moore. Son of Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth. If you're a fan of the Golden Girls, Coco made an appearance in the final episode. Which... Strikes me as a bit strange. Coco is now in a band called Lightbulb. The mod father, Paul Weller, ex of the jam and the style council, has a son named Matt. He's hoping to be a glam rocker and describes his look and attitude as, quote, a cross between Victoria Beckham and Marilyn Manson. You can just imagine what dad thinks of that. And if you want to read some really vicious stuff about the offspring of Sir Bob Geldof, he of the Boomtown Rats and Live Aid, look up stuff on his daughter, Peaches, Honey Blossom, Michelle, Charlotte, Angel, Vanessa. That's her name. Peaches, Honey Blossom, Michelle, Charlotte, Angel, Vanessa. She's been in a bunch of TV shows, including a program called, wait for it, The Beginner's Guide to Islam. She's also done a lot of writing and modeling and DJing. In fact, her DJ duo is called The Trash Pussies. Peaches is in the British papers a lot. They don't like her much because she's portrayed as being spoiled, snotty, and arrogant. But then again, she had a pretty messed up childhood. Her mom was British TV host Paula Yates. She had a thing with Michael Hutchence of excess at the time of his death. They had a daughter named Heavenly Harani Tiger Lily. And then, of course, Michael died during some weird autoerotic asphyxiation thing gone wrong. And then mom died of a heroin overdose. Oh, And did I mention that Peaches has a sister named Fifi Trixabel and another sister named Pixie? And you thought your family was weird. Now you may have noticed that there were no Rockstar children in this program related to Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols. Johnny and his wife Nora never had any kids together. He is, however, stepfather to Nora's daughter, Ari. Now this in itself is an interesting story. Johnny met Nora through Ari. Back in the 1970s, Ari was in a punk band called The Slits. They roamed the same circles as the Sex Pistols. Johnny and Ery became friends. They were contemporaries. Johnny met mom through Ery. Johnny married mom. And yes, she's quite a bit older than John. What about Joey Ramon? Never married. No kids. Research help from Natalia Ribeiro. Technical production from Adam Ketchkometti and Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross.